I am so excited to introduce Chris Thrasher Wheatley to you. He serves as the chairman of the board here at Neighborhood Church. He is also the Northern California, Oregon Regional Director for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Did I get that right? I think I got that right, or mostly right. Area Director. The Air Regional Director is my boss. So area not, Director. I'm taking his title. Sorry, boss. <laughs> Didn't mean that. Um, and um, I have to say that you're on sabbatical right now. I am. Yeah. So we were sabbatical buddies for a bit there. It is really true, and we had we had some lunches together, and uh, you are a blessing to us. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your sensitivity. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for preparing this message that was supposed to be at the beginning and now it's yeah. at the end. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. Hey, it is good to have you back. Can we just thank you, Andrew. Thank you for taking sabbatical. Seriously, pressing in, getting the most out of it. And you know what? The church is still here. It's amazing. And he's back. Um, it is great to be in the house this morning. And it is true, I was supposed to start off the series on God's names and attributes, talking about God's goodness, and now I'm finishing the series with the same sermon because I caught COVID three days before I was supposed to give this sermon. So it is true what the Bible says, the first shall be last. Um, it's great. Goodness. We're talking about goodness this morning. Uh, this is actually the third sermon on goodness, so there must be something God wants us to get from it. Uh, Chris Ballant spoke on goodness in May. Uh, two weeks ago, Alyssa Reed talked about God being our good shepherd. So I'm hoping and praying that there's something this morning um, that God has for us. In fact, as we were praying in the chapel before service, I felt like, okay, there's some good, I, f I feel confident there's some good thoughts that are going to be shared. But um, my prayer is that uh, we would also encounter God's goodness this morning. As you're sitting there in the pew or on the live stream, that there'd be a moment where you sense God's goodness tangibly with you. Um, that's my prayer this morning. Not just that there's some good thoughts, but that there's something that we encounter. That's where true transformation starts to take place. Um, and then for the sermon, sometimes I, when I speak up in front, I have people turn to their neighbor. We're not doing that this morning. Woo! Some of you are like, oh man, it stresses me out when I talk to my neighbor. Uh, but I am going to ask for some participation. I am going to ask for participation. So those of you that are kind of loud and boisterous or love, you know, shouting out, this is your sermon. Yes. Yes, this is your sermon. So let's, we're going to start with an easy one. This is kind of practice. So how would you describe creation? What's an adjective that comes to mind when you're in God's creation? A beautiful sunset. You're looking up at the stars. You're swimming in bear hole. And it's just like, oh, I love this. What are some adjectives that come up? Majestic. Majestic. Perfect. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Holy. Holy. Awe-inspiring, awe splendor, colorful, colorful. immense, immense. Soul, soul what? Soul-soothing, diverse, fantastic, beautiful, inspiring. Wow, God's creation is all of those things. And for some of us, it's probably the primary way we connect with God, right? There's different kind of ways. Some of us, for me, it's wor I love worship. I feel like so close to God in worship. For some of us, it's creation. 
All of those words, they're awesome. And which makes me wonder why in the Bible, in Genesis 1, the author uses one word, one word to describe creation. And it's good. It doesn't say awesome or awe-inspiring or soul-soothing. Just the word good. And part of me feels like, if I'm being honest, there probably was like a better descriptor word, you know? It's like good is kind of, it's like, uh. Good has kind of like lost our meaning in our culture. It's like the word love or the word peace. We use them so frequently, they've kind of lost their intensity. Get what I'm saying? We have definitions for good, synonyms, pleasant, favorable, nice. Imagine staring up at this beautiful sunset. You're on the beach, and you're looking, and you go, that's nice. <laughs> Doesn't quite capture it. However, the word good in the first chapter of Genesis, in Hebrew, it's much spicier. Much spicier. It's the word tov, as in mazel tov. Okay? Tov. And tov has a kinetic energy to it. There's inherent potential in the word good. It can't help but multiply, be fruitful. Think of the things that are called good in Genesis 1. Fruit of every kind with seed to make more fruit. That's good. Animals, birds, fish, blessed as they are, but also to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. That's what makes them good. Humans are also asked to be fruitful and multiply. And every time God does this stuff in Genesis 1, it says, God saw that it was good. Not nice. Good. I mean like good. Good. Deeply good. There is how we think about good in our culture. And then there is good. It multiplies. It replicates. It fills. It becomes more good. That's Tav in Genesis. Kind of miss it in the English, don't we? Okay, so here's a prop that I brought from our garden. Picked it. It's a tomato. Okay. And this tomato is going to teach us about good. So uh, inherently, it is good. It is better. My mom's sitting over here. She'll tell you it is better than anything you can buy at the store. Do you believe it? Okay, good. Good. Um, because it inherently has flavor. The ones at the store don't have flavor. Okay, so we're getting that. Um, so that makes it good. But you know what else makes it the Hebrew tav kind of good? Inside this tomato are 100 seeds. And those 100 seeds, if we planted them, would become 100 plants. So this time next year, this one tomato could be a hundred plants. With what? A hundred tomatoes on those hundred plants? So is it possible 
that one of the things that makes this tomato good is that it has the potential to become 10,000 tomatoes by the time we are standing here next year. What? What? When I told this to our nine-year-old Henry, he was like, actually, there's like infinite amount of tomatoes in there if you keep it going. It's like, that's true, Henry. That is true. That's what we're talking about when we say that creation is good, and it's what we're talking about when we say God is good. Theologian Dr. Peter Kapsner, he says it this way when he's talking about the, the good, the tav in creation. He says, things are as they should be, but they are also flourishing. It's how they should be, and yet the kinetic energy, the potential, there's a, there's a movement to it. He says, God himself lies behind the goodness that infuses creation because God himself is good. He is flourishing and dynamic. He is life-giving and in harmony. So here's truth number one for our sermon today. God's goodness is foundational. God's goodness is foundational to creation, foundational to how things have been created. It is the energy that allows everything to continue to grow. It is God's goodness. Think of it like any Narnia fans in here? So, yes, okay, good. I'm glad this one is going to go because I was afraid. Um, Narnia, in the creation narrative in Narnia, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a piece of metal that gets pulled into the whole story and gets thrown as a weapon and it hits into the ground during the creation narrative in Narnia. And all of a sudden, it grows into a light post. A piece of metal. It couldn't help but grow because it comes in contact with God's goodness in the story. That's the kind of goodness we're talking about. And it's a terrific place to start to build our own personal theologies. God is good. All he makes and does is good. All right? And when we say that, we, we're really, what we're really saying is God is good. He's good. All the potential, all the energy. And everything he makes and does is good. All right, let's take a moment. This is going to be a response time. Where have you experienced God's goodness? And I'm just looking for like a word or phrase. I'm not looking for a sentence. But where have you experienced God's goodness? Children, Children. great. Food. food, yes, food. Man after my own heart. Your wife, awesome. Friends, family. Good health, nature, nature. Travel. travel, forgiveness, here. right here, hey, right here, in miracles, we've experienced God's goodness in miracles, in worship, in unity. The thing about all of these is that they are good and there's potential for them to become more good. Praise God. Um, when I was thinking about this, uh, I have a picture for us. Um, because I'm on sabbatical, I wasn't at our pre-fall retreat with our staff to launch ministry in Northern California and Southern Oregon. Um, and, but I got this picture texted to me by Derek. He's on the left right there. 
And I just, I just started, I just started crying. I love this team. And um, I mean, Andrew knows the feeling. It's like, it's a good thing to miss the people when you're on sabbatical. It's a good thing. Um, and uh, as I started thinking about it, this team didn't exist eight years ago when we started our area. It didn't exist. And God gave us a word to start pressing north of Chico and start ministries on all these college campuses and universities. And these are the people that he brought us. It's beautiful. And as I reflect on it, I'm like, it's just, it's good becoming more good. And all of us have those parts in our lives where we can say, God has done a good work, and I think he's doing a gooder work. Huh? Can I say that word? English majors are like, oh, gosh, who let this guy on stage? (laughs) Gooder. He's doing a gooder work. And in some ways, this idea of good, Tav, it is so countercultural to the way our society thinks. And you know what? In the time of Genesis, it was also countercultural. It was also countercultural. The idea of a good God having a good creation and blessing his creation with goodness, uh-uh. No, all the competing narratives during the time of Genesis were of gods who ruled over a hurting creation with humans as their slaves. This idea of God is good, it would have been such a stark contrast, it actually would have offended them. They'd have been like, what? That is not what a God does. If we fast forward to the time of Jesus, Greek thought was the dominant kind of narrative in the space. And Greek thought, uh, as they wrestled with a broken world, instead of good, they came up with the idea of perfect. Perfect. That's a Greek thought. And their idea of perfection, it was static. There was no change to it. No multiplying, no filling, no becoming more. The only way something changes if it's perfect is what? Become less perfect. So perfect has to stay there. And if it changes at all, it becomes less perfect. Whereas here is God's goodness, and it's gooding. There's another word for you. I like that. The image for perfection is the Greek statue. They covered all of Greece and actually everywhere else they went with statues carved in marble. It was perfect. And if anything happened to the statue, it was just that it would become imperfect. This expectation of perfection, it hung over Greece. And again, it's a stark contrast. Greek perfection as an unattainable burden. Get that? A burden. Perfection as a burden placed over their people. God's foundational goodness as a blessing. Dynamic. Alive. So we got that. God's goodness. That's what we're working with this morning. It is foundational. So we go back to Genesis. And spoiler alert, if you have not read Genesis, what happens to God's good creation if we keep reading? Humans screw it up. We screw it up. 
We choose out of the flourishing plan. We exchange God's goodness for human control. And it does not go well. And it's not only us, the humans that suffer from that. All of creation is still groaning under that decision to choose out of God's goodness. I remember studying Genesis with 40 Chico State and Butte college students. It was about eight years ago. We were studying it for a whole week during spring break. And we had done all this work in God's goodness. It's so beautiful. And then we get to Genesis 4. And it's just spiraling out of control. There's this guy Lamech, and he's just wreaking havoc on all of creation. And we see polygamy star, and there's weapons being fashioned, and war is breaking out, murdering and vengeance. And it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible. Students just started crying because we had sat in God's goodness for two days. And then we arrive at this point, and you, just, you feel the heartbreak of it. Our human condition, broken society, all the personal situations. There's a point, and we reach this with, the, with those students, there's a point where all the brokenness, it can start to feel like an indictment on God. This question, how could a good God allow this? It snuck up into our conversation. And we had been marinating in Genesis 1 and 2, and it's just... It, it, we arrived at it. Show of hands, how many of us have asked a form of this question? How could a good God allow this? It's good. Some of us are being honest. Some of, <laughs> I, think, I think all of us have asked some form of that. We come in contact with the brokenness we see, and even if we know the goodness of God, it is so hard when we see the brokenness of our world. I know I have. I've asked that question. I asked it, the death of a family member, person close to us has a miscarriage, and I'm like, what? How? How do I hold those together? The campfire, when the campfire happened, I just, I was like, I don't get it. And it honestly doesn't even have to be big things. It's really anything, anything that impacts us. I was like racking my brain like, oh yeah, all the different moments. And I remember when I had a fender bender, I was out in Humboldt visiting our staff there and I got into a fender bender and I was like, why me God? <laughs> it's like, is that really the end of the world? No, it was not the end of the world. But we can, we can get into that mode. And as we were studying Genesis 4 with the students, we really wrestled with what do you do with a bad situation and a good God? What do you do with those two? And we came up with a really complex, really complex kind of like chart to figure out what you do. It looks like this. There you go. Okay. Super complex. It is very human to look at all this happening in our lives, the situation. There's sadness. There's there's. Something that's unjust, it's difficult, it's broken. It's very easy, it's human to look at that situation and say, what, God? How could you? Why? Where? Very human to do this. 
And we start to wonder, is God distant? Is he impatient? Is he judging me? Is he vindictive? I've heard all those things said. But then, a person who's choosing to root in God's goodness has a different perspective. They actually start over here. They say, no, 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 no. I know God is good. I know he's good. And I don't understand right now what's going on with this situation. But I'm going to start here and I'm going to see what happens when God does his thing. It doesn't change that this is unjust or difficult or doesn't make sense or it hurts. But starting over with God's goodness makes all the difference. Do you get me? Okay. I'll tell, we're going to do a case study out of Acts 19. Mm, Love that chapter. But I'm going to tell you a quick story about um, one of my friends. She's on staff with us, Kalia. Um, We were talking this week. And she was telling me about this trip that we had been planning for over a year. Um, for her to go visit um, a, a kind of interactive project that the Hawaii staff do on the islands. And Kalia is native Hawaiian. She's probably the only native Hawaiian in all of Siskiyou County. I could be wrong. Probably. So she works at College of the Siskiyous in Weed. Amazing staff worker. Uh, works primarily with athletes. The most amount of students we've seen come to faith in the last few years are from her chapter. She's just dynamic, amazing. And um, so we have this trip that she was supposed to go on, um, a year in the making. She's going to spend time in the Native Hawaiian community with Native Hawaiian Christians and people who aren't Christian. And they call it holeolepono, which means to listen rightly and justly. And the Christians come and they just listen, okay? And they just say, tell us what's going on. We want to be with you. Amazing, 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 amazing. And Kalia, because she's never been to Hawaii, even though she's native Hawaiian, this is big for her, anticipating the whole year. You got it, right? Have you ever really, 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 really wanted to go on a trip? Yes, okay, she's there. She arrives, and two and a half days in, she's working out in the fields, because they're doing, excuse me, work in the fields, and she starts feeling symptoms, symptoms. And she says, shoot. I think I have COVID. And so she takes a test and she had been so, so, so careful because one, she didn't want to get COVID and have it mess up the trip. Two, the native Hawaiian community has been disproportionately affected by COVID. And so she's like, I don't want to bring it into the community. And so she tests, she's positive. And the next thing you know, she's quarantining for the rest of the project in an auntie's back bedroom. And she just gets to the point where she says, why, God? Why? I prayed, God. I prayed and I asked you to keep me away, keep COVID away, and now I have COVID, and why did you do this to me? Right? Any one of us in Cleotius probably would have responded the same. And she tells me, you know, I'm sitting there, Chris, feeling sorry for myself, feeling achy, I'm sitting in the bed, and then she goes, no, no, mm-mm. I know God is good. And I know God didn't give me COVID. Great. So what you can see, she's moving to this part. She says, no, God didn't give me COVID. In fact, God can do something good here. And so she says, God, what do you want to do? And she says, Chris, all of a sudden God tells me, hey, remember that gift that I'm unlocking in you? The gift of intercession? Let's use that right now. 
And so she starts to pray. She starts to pray for the people she's met. She starts to pray for people back home. When you're in quarantine, there's a lot of time to pray for a lot of people. She starts doing it. And the whole thing changes. She spent half the time that she thought she'd spend in quarantine. God did do some work in her. I mean, she kind of healed up quicker than she should have. Negative test, negative test. Okay, she's back in the game. And the rest of the trip, she's like, it went better than I I originally even thought I could expect. So it's beautiful. But the thing I want to point out is this. She did something in that moment where she said, wait a second, no, I know that God is good. And I'm going to choose to start here instead of feeling sorry for myself and blaming from this side. All the difference. When a person is rooted in God's goodness, that's our foundation, truth one. It allows for a completely different experience of the situation. All right, so let's go to Paul in Acts 16. We know Paul has deep conviction that God is good, all right? And so we're going to do a work here in Acts 16, quick case study. Let me give you the background. Um, He writes in all of his letters at different forms about God's goodness. Here's my favorite in Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. There is conviction in those words. Paul is saying that a good God will work good in every situation. He just knows it. And Paul models how to live within that situation God scenario. Like, how do I live in that tension? And he gives us our second truth, which is this. We can orient to God's goodness in every situation. That's what we're going to learn through his case study, okay? Not only is God good and his goodness is foundational and it's how he created it, but that in any situation, we can actually reorient it all onto his goodness. We can. So let me give you the background in Acts 16. Paul and Silas are out running around doing Paul and Silas things. They're starting churches. They're talking to people. They're going into synagogues. And we start Acts 16. They're trying to get into Asia. They really, really, really want to get to Asia. They're like, we want to start churches in Asia. They try once. We're told the Holy Spirit stops them. They try a second time. The Spirit of God stops them a second time. That's a whole different sermon. I have a lot of questions about what's going on there. But they don't make it into Asia. And Paul's upset. So then they're praying. And Paul gets a vision of a man. He's in Macedonia. And he says, please come help us. So immediately, Paul and Silas and his companions, they go. They leave and they go. They arrive in the the region of of Macedonia. And as they show up, they don't find a man. They find a woman. It's also kind of confusing. Her name's Lydia. She's God-fearing, and she comes to faith. So they start doing their work around Macedonia and in this city. And uh, all of a sudden, they come... Uh, up against kind of the spiritual funkiness in the city, kind of the, the thing that's hanging over all the city. And Paul just deals with it. Like, he's a boss. He knows what he's up to. Healing, cast out. And next thing you know, the whole city is in an uproar. Why? Because he's come against the thing that they trust. And he's dealt with it. And they're very angry. And so they're dragging Paul and Silas through the city, and there's a mob. And that's where we join it. Got it? That's what was going on. So here is our text. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. 
After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. So they get dragged through the streets. A mob kind of goes after them. There was a flogging and they're thrown in a prison. Okay, situation God. Let's look at the situation. You're trying to obey God. You're trying to overcome multiple barriers. You're Paul and Silas, but you end up in prison severely beaten. Pretty easy to ask God, how could this happen? I thought we were serving you, right? This is an important moment. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. How would we respond? God, Here's one I've heard Christians say. I'm a Christian, so I can say it too. I guess God is closing the door. Doesn't it feel like that? Guess we're in prison now. God's closing the door. And then one of our friends would say, hey, everything happens for a reason. Good point. Door closed. Everything happens for a reason. And then someone online would text Hey, thoughts and prayers, XOXO. (laughs) And then we would just sit in prison. Right? Isn't that our way of handling the tension of the situation, God? I don't understand the situation. I'm confused about going on with God. So I'm just going to decide that God closed the door, XOXO. It's funny, but it's true. I can't tell you how many times a Christian has given me a hallmark saying to try to remove the tension in my life, and it is wrong. It would be better if they said, hey, God is good. Let's, let's pray into this. I'm not saying there's no purpose behind the situations we go through. I'm not saying God doesn't sometimes close doors. What I am saying is, We have gotten really awesome at easing our way out of that tension of situation, God. We've found escape hatches with (laughs) quasi-theology. Close the door, must be fate. Not everything can go my way. It's not good. But you know what? Paul and Silas, not only do they have God's goodness as their foundation, but they have figured out how to reorient every situation to God's goodness. Do you want to see what they do? Yep. Huh? Yep. Okay, let's see what they do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God after being flogged. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Mm. Praying and singing hymns to God, reorienting the entire situation on God. It is not about prison or being beaten. It's about God and his goodness. 
And when the prison doors fly open, I don't know about you, I might have taken that as a sign of like, woohoo, out of here. God opened the doors, let's go. He didn't close them this time, he opened them. Let's go, let's get out of here. But you know what? Paul and Silas are not in a hurry to escape their situation because they are in God's goodness. Right? Who's more in trouble, Paul and Silas or this prison guard? Paul and Silas are good. They're fine. They're not trying to escape their situation. They are anchored in the goodness of God and the curious thing, curious thing happens. The jailer and his whole house come to faith. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Because Paul knows God is good. And he insists on focusing on God instead of getting caught up in the situation. There's an overflow of God's goodness that happens around him. Do you see that? And sometimes I wonder, is God just, is he just looking for Christians that will claim his goodness and hold tight to it no matter what situation so that that goodness can then just overflow into whatever situation you're in? I think so. I think so. Because of the overflow of God's goodness in this situation, Lydia, the woman they first meet in the town, she comes to faith. But the jailer and his entire family come to faith. And they actually planted a church. That's how they did it. Let's see, step one, you know, get flogged. Step two, end up in jail. Like, that's not how you normally plant a church. Does anyone know the church that Paul and Silas just planted? Philippi. The Philippian church, the Philippian church is, is the church that was just planted because Paul and Silas refused to let the situation impact them. They actually anchored down into God's goodness and they said, God, I don't get it, but you are so good. I'm going to worship you at midnight in a jail. So truth number three, God's goodness overflows. We saw that in Genesis 1, good becoming gooder, fruit becoming more fruit, animals becoming more animals and more animals, humans becoming more. God just, his goodness cannot be contained, y'all. It's good and it, it goods, okay? It just does that. And anyone that, that wants to claim that as the foundation and then take that into any situation, God is good for it. He will show up and his goodness will overflow in that situation, as Paul and Silas hold on to the goodness as their foundation, it allows the whole situation to reorient. And then that allows God's dynamic, alive goodness to overflow. The jailer comes to faith. A church is planted. Which brings us to an important point. I think sometimes, as Christians, we're really good at keeping our situations that are hard, we keep them private our wrestling, we don't bring that out in the open. What we bring in the open is a completed testimony. We say, oh, God was good. He did this. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. It's tied up with a bow. Look what God did. 
But you know what? I have a feeling, and this is just a conviction of mine. So if this isn't for you, that's fine. But for me, I have a, conv- a conviction that we need to start to invite other people in our town, our neighborhood, our work, invite them into this situation, God tension that we're feeling in whatever, whatever it is. And you know what? It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not Christian. And we just say, you know what? I know God is good and I'm waiting for him to show up. Get ready for the overflow. We invite people to share the experience of God's goodness with us before we see it happen. That's where it's awesome. Um, Alyssa, who spoke two weeks ago, um, I'm not going to tell her story again. Um, She shared up in front here, but they prayed for eight years to get pregnant. It was hard. And twice a year, our InterVarsity staff team, we do a formation retreat. It's a 48-hour retreat, a lot of silence, a lot of prayer. You know, we, we, really get, we really get into the, the depths. And every formation retreat, our team would break down crying, praying for her. Just that she would be able to conceive. Because we knew that was something that God had given her. He'd called her to. And she invited us into that. She invited this whole church. She got up in front before she had ever conceived and said, this is on my heart. I know God's doing this. And I don't know how. She invited the whole church into that tension. And you know what? The first time I held Elena, I cried. Because I had been a part of that good process. I think we need to do that. I think we need to do that, people. Think of all the heroes of the faith, the people we deeply admire. They are in the craziest situations, inviting God's goodness right in there in front of everyone. And then God shows up. Does a miracle completely flips it on its head. And we're like, whoa, God is good. Because God responds, and it's about his glory. And then we all get to live in his goodness together. So here's, here's, a, here's the response. We're wrapping up. Here's the response. Here's three things that I think we can think about. And they go with our, our truths. One, some of us really need to think about what it looks like to embrace God's goodness as a foundation in our life. And you know what? I'm, I am not one to judge because I have seen a lot in my life and in my friends' lives and my family's lives. We all go through it as humans. There's a lot that can mess with our understanding of God's goodness. But I'm here to testify and say, it is worth doing the work of recapturing good at the center of how you think about God. All right? That's, that's challenge number one for some of us. Challenge number two, some of us are in a difficult situation right now. I'm not asking you to turn to your neighbor, huh? Thank you, yeah. Um, but you're in, you're in it, you're in it. And I would just say, maybe sit with that situation, God, tension. And it's, it's hard. I can't, there's not a week that goes by that I don't mentally use the situation, God, and put myself over here. Not a week that goes by that I don't do that. Thank you, those students that gave that to me eight years ago. Because there's, it's, it's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline to say, no, God, you're good, and I want you to speak into the situation. So some of us, maybe we need to spend some time this week saying, all right, God, I know you're good, and so what does it mean? And then lastly, 
some of us need to actually start to get in the habit of bringing other people into our tension moments in order to allow God's goodness to be experienced by them with us, okay? And so think about the people that you want to like ask to pray with you or that you're like, hey, can we have coffee? I'm going through something and I want to share it with you. Let's, let's get in the habit of incorporating people in this church and our neighbors, all right? So those are the three challenges. You could have all three. That's fine. You get an extra gold star, treasure in heaven. But at least, I'm guessing at least one for each of us that we could pick. So um, why don't we go ahead and stand if we're able, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Jesus, you are good. You're good. You created this whole world. And you called it good. And you made it to flourish. Fullness of life. It is available in you. And as a church, we want to choose to have that as our foundation. We want to live out of it. Every situation we go through, we want to reorient so that you are at the center of it with your goodness. And Lord, we ask that that would spill out into this city, that Chico would be changed, that this region would be changed because you are good. And we claim that this morning. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Great. Thank you for coming this morning. Prayer team, I'm going to invite you up. If any of these three challenges you want to pray through, we have the prayer team. And uh, thanks for joining us on the live stream. We'll see you here next week.